Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we wrap up our series, Jesus Is. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, happy Easter, community. Very good. Um, We don't have a lot of traditions around here, but uh, there is one tradition that we have that we kind of took from the Orthodox Church, and it goes like this. I will say, Christ is risen, and then with great Easter enthusiasm, you'll respond with, he is risen indeed. Are you ready? All right. (laughs) That was kind of a lackluster yes. I think I got one yes right here. So we'll see how this goes. Christ is risen. That's pretty good. But now, like, life or death depends on it, okay? Christ is risen. He is risen Very good. I love it. And I'll tell you what, that is the amazing truth that we're here to celebrate that Jesus is alive. Death did not have power over him. And what happened on Friday so many years ago was not the end of the story. Instead, resurrection, life overcoming death had the last say. And it's all about life, and Jesus is alive. Now, I, I, I was thinking about... Um, this, of course, for the last week or so, and it made me remember a line uh, from one of my favorite movies. And I, I love movies. You love movies? Yeah. Love movies, yes. And uh, you may be thinking, oh, you're a pastor. You probably only listen to Christian radio and watch religious broadcasting. So get off me, all right? I love movies, all right? Um, but let me hear, I'm thinking of one particular movie, okay? So let, let me give you a few hints, all right? Um, here's what I'm thinking of. It's kind of an oldie, all right? It, it includes kilts. It includes bagpipes, and it includes freedom. Anybody got a guess? Braveheart, nicely done. There you go. Boom. Yes. Um, how, how many of you like Braveheart? It goes back a ways. Oh, man, a whole bunch. Others are going, eh, a little too bloody. But I, um, In the movie, William Wallace makes a certain profound statement. And, and so I did some extensive research on this statement, which means I Googled it. And, um, and what I discovered is we're really not sure if William Wallace said it at all. So that's kind of a bummer. So um, we do know that Mel Gibson said this, which is not quite as good. Uh, but here's the quote, which I do love, and, he's, and it's this. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And I'll tell you what, if William Wallace didn't say it, he should have said that, right? Every man dies, but not every man truly lives lives. And here's what I want you to ask yourself this Easter morning. Are you alive? And yes, you're breathing, right? Yes, you're functioning. Your brain is engaged here. You are officially alive. You probably have a document somewhere called a birth certificate that says, you know, here's a document of my existence, right? Do me a favor. Put your hand on your chest. Put your hand on your chest right now. Everybody go put your hand on your chest. Breathe in and out. You got air coming in and out of those lungs? Yes. Yes. Do you? Yeah. Okay. So you're alive, right? You're alive. But we're not talking about that kind of life. What I want to know, are you truly living? Are you really living? And that's kind of a tough question. And it's challenging because we're always, almost like 24-7, most of it, we're in pursuit of the life, trying to find what it means to truly live. Um, uh, Sue and I recently, my wife and I recently got away for our anniversary, and we spent a couple days down in Miami uh, in South Beach. And um, I'll tell you what, there's certain parts of that area down there where... I mean, you can just like smell the money. 
I'm saying high-end shopping stores, upscale restaurants. And I'm not kidding. You should see the yachts. I mean, it's just like one after another, unstinking believable. Um, and I'm there for just a couple of days, right? A few days. And I could feel myself, right? Already starting to think, going like, man, this weather and me on that particular boat there, big blue ocean every day, that would be living. That would be the life, right? Are you with me? We do that, don't we? Or... Um, or maybe you're at work. You're at work and you watch your boss. You know, he comes in late. He leaves early. He's got the big corner office, nice big windows over there. And you know all he's doing in there is playing like words with friends or something, right? <laughs> but we tell ourselves, you know, hey, I'm working 40, 50, 60 hours at a percentage of the pay. If I could get in that office over there, if I could just have that office, then, then I'd be really living. That would be the life, right? We tell ourselves that stuff. But let's just do a little reality check here, okay? Would that boat, it'd be nice, but would that boat in in South Beach or would your boss's job, would that really satisfy? (laughs) Somebody's like, well, I'm glad you're here because we got 20 more minutes for you, all right? (laughs) I've always, I have always prided community in that we're just kind of authentic and genuine. So there you go. Well, here's the thing. I'm suggesting that perhaps more money because we've already, a lot of us in this room, we have money and we've gotten more money. We've also gotten promotions and some of us even have nice fancy toys and it still hasn't brought that kind of life. Somebody once put it this way, what those really are is they are dissatisfaction in camouflage. Dissatisfaction in camouflage. And I think here's the truth. I think the truth is that many of us, we lay our heads on our pillows at night and we know, we know, we know, we know. Even though we're pursuing and chasing those things and kind of dreaming about those things, sometimes, not all the time, but some of the time, we know something's not right and we know something's missing. And we've had enough experience by this point to go, you know what? A bank account, even with another zero, it's not gonna make me truly alive. Friends, as important as friends are, they're not gonna make me truly alive. And marriage, as wonderful as marriage can be, A first marriage, or a second, or even your third. We find out, you know what? No, it's not gonna make me truly alive. That dream job's not gonna make me truly alive. A a nice tan, an 80 degree day on a 300 foot yacht is not gonna make me truly alive. And here's the thing, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. So the question I want us to really grapple with is this, how do we get to the place where we can all say, you know what, no, I am truly alive. I'm truly alive. Well, we find the answer to that question in a letter written by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote this letter to a group of people a lot like us. And uh, actually, in the letter, he says this. I was made alive, this very thing. I was made alive in Christ. But before his, uh, his letter gets that hopeful, before all that, it starts out very bleak. And so he writes these words early on, and he says this. But once you were dead, once you were dead, And what Paul is doing, he's talking to all of us who are willing to acknowledge that oftentimes I don't feel truly alive, that I actually do feel like, and maybe you can resonate with this, I do feel like, you know, there's something, something missing. And if that's you, I mean, listen up. Because Paul goes on to explain why he feels that way, and he thinks why we all feel, often feel this way. And he says this, he says, well, once, once you were dead, and here's why, because of your disobedience and your many sins, he actually uses this word, it's, we're going to go there and unpack that, which is following the passionate desires and the inclinations of your sinful nature. Paul, based on his own experience, is saying, it's our sin, 
And he says, here's what sin is. It's just, it's chasing after all the stuff that we know won't bring ultimate satisfaction. That's what's killing us, leaving us feeling dead. That's what's keeping us from being alive. And I, th- I think most of us, we already know. We know that sin is real. Because sin is any time when I, I don't do the stuff that God wants me to do, right? I don't, and we, right? We I don't do the stuff God wants me to do. Or I do keep chasing all that other stuff that's not gonna ultimately bring me satisfaction only God can bring. And, and let's be honest. Um, if you have a toddler, you already know sin is real. <laughs> In diapers. I mean, how, how many of you got toddlers? How many already have, have you a toddler, toddlers? Anybody else toddlers? toddlers? Okay, we got, okay, several, lots. This is good. Um, how can something be so cute, so adorable, so precious, but then also get so mad, be so loud in the grocery store when everybody's watching? Right? Nobody has to actually teach us, right, to be selfish, to be ungrateful, to be angry. Nobody has to teach us to want what we don't have. We're just kind of born with that, aren't we? We're born with it. And so I'll tell you what, I'm going to skip. I want to skip the part where I talk about sin. I got several pages here on sin that we could do. Um, how many of you are with me going like, you know what? No, it's pretty much true that I often do gravitate towards stuff that's not necessarily what God wants. Are you with me on that? Okay, we got a few people. Where's that person that was telling me the truth before? I want to make sure they're raising their hand. There we go. Okay. You're still telling the truth. That's good. How many else? We just skip that part then? We're all there, right? Can we skip that part? I can do it. Okay, we're good. Okay, well, God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to skip that because then Paul goes right to the solution. If you know already that, yeah, man, I, find, I try to find life other places than God, and I don't know why I keep doing it, but I do keep doing it. He goes on and he says, Here, here's the solution. He goes, but, next slide, please. But God. I love it when God butts in. <laughs> All right? And by the way, when God butts in here, it's not because we called him, we texted him, we emailed him, or we started waving kind of and yelling and saying, hey, we're really sorry, God. We apologize for doing all the stuff you didn't want us to do. Now we're ready for your help. No, that's not when he butted in. You know when God butted in? God butted in when we were in the middle of screwing up our lives. God butted in when we were in the very act of doing the thing that God warned us, hey, that's gonna bring death. That's not gonna bring life. That's when God butted in. And here's why. But God is so rich in mercy. I want you to really get this, all right? This is good stuff here. God God doesn't just have mercy, he is mercy. And it's like layers. He's like layers and layers of mercy. Makes makes me think of um, red velvet cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory. You ever had that? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Um, Red velvet cake, a layer of that, and then a layer of cheesecake, and then another, lo- another layer of red velvet cake, and then another layer of cheesecake, and then on top of it is like this cream cheese frosting, and if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't rich enough, then they give you a huge dollop of whipped cream on the side, okay? Like layers and layers and layers, okay? And that, when you think about that, that's how rich, that's how rich God is in mercy. And this word, this word mercy, you know what mercy means? It just means second chances. God's willing to give you second chances over and over and over again. Over and over again. And I, I, I know about second chances because both my boys played t-ball. You talk about a sport, okay? A sport <laughs> that is rich in mercy. T-ball is a sport that is rich in mercy. Anybody got nephews, nieces, grandkids, kids playing, okay, playing t-ball or gonna play t-ball? Oh my goodness. Okay, so 
how does T-ball work? Well, you got the balls first. It's, it's, the ball's stationary on this rubber tee, right? How many swings do the kids get? Right, as many as they want. <laughs> I mean, they get up there and they're swinging, right? And the kids swinging like you know, eight times, nine times, ten times, and the parents are still cheering. You know, good swing, Johnny. Good swing, Johnny. And I'm thinking he didn't even hit the tee, more or less the ball. Why are we cheering on this mediocrity, right? <laughs> and then finally, at the tenth swing, right, he hits the tee. The ball kind of stumbles forward in fair territory. So the coach yells, "Run!" Johnny runs to first, he runs to second, he runs to third, he turns around third and slides into home, and everybody goes crazy, home run, right? If you've ever seen a t-ball game, God's a lot like that. God is a lot like that. We get up there, we get one strike, we get another strike, we get another strike, everybody else is looking at us going, I can't believe that guy's still alive. I can't believe God keeps blessing him, right? And we keep swinging, we keep swinging, we keep swinging. You know why we get to keep swinging? Because God is, say this with me, rich in what? Mercy. He's rich in mercy. No, you just keep swinging. Other people are shaking their heads because we're swinging 10th time, 11th time, 12th time. And somebody's thinking, this guy's got to be out by now. And you know what God says? He's not out till I say he's out. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And he goes on and says, but this God who's so rich in mercy, he loved us so much. Do you guys get this, what I'm talking about? That's how rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we are dead, we feel this deadness. Why? Because the stuff we're doing, the stuff we're pursuing, the other places we're trying to find it, what he does, he gives us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And this is where Easter intersects with what we're talking about. God sent Jesus so every one of us could experience life. Not heart beating, not breathing. I'm talking about truly living truly living. In fact, that was exactly Jesus' mission. You know what Jesus' purpose for coming, his mission statement was? He lays it out in John chapter 10, verse 10. Look at this. He says this. I came, this is Jesus talking. I came so that they could have life indeed. And he goes, and not just heart beating, breathing kind of life. No, I came to give them life to the fullest. So what is it that makes us fully alive? How do we have that experience? I think that's what Easter's all about. This life that Jesus offers. Let me give you a few things here. Make it very practical. First of all, Jesus offers us this first thing. He offers us a life with eternal hope. A life with eternal hope. Paul explains this, okay? In the very next verse, he says this. We're marching right through Ephesians 2. He says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Um, the experience of death when you have someone close to you die, or the fear of death and dying, I think that's one of the things that keeps us from feeling alive, being alive. Because oftentimes when we're afraid of it or we go through it, we think, oh my gosh, that's the end. That's the end of the story. That's the end. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I experienced death. I was a teenager and, uh, and I just got the news that my grandfather was in the hospital and he wasn't doing well. Uh, my mom and dad, they left Chicago, flew to rural, flew, uh, drove back, so they drove down to rural Missouri uh, to be with him. I was in high school, they left me behind. It was about a day later, I got a call from them. They said that my grandfather had passed um, and they arranged to have some friends drive me to O'Hare. I flew down to St. Louis and I, I met him over in a, it's a little town called Mexico, Missouri where my grandma and grandpa lived. I remember we drove in and I remember going up this 
white house, little white house. I walked in the door. There was the uh, kind of the living room and then the kitchen. And as I walked through the living room, my grandmother was in the kitchen and she turned around and she saw me um, and she comes running towards me and she puts her arms around me and then she says, you don't have a grandpa anymore. You don't have a grandpa anymore. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's been a long time ago, but those are still some of the saddest words I have ever heard. And in that moment, it not only felt like my grandfather had died, but there was like a part of me inside that, was, that had died too. And I think anybody here who's ever lost someone close to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, so I carried that sense of death the next day it, it, to the funeral. And it was there that I heard the pastor explain, just like Paul does here in Ephesians 2, 6, that because my grandfather was a follower of Jesus, that he was raised from the dead with Christ and he's now in heaven. And you know what? In that moment, knowing that, that brought life. That brought life. And since that time, I'm here to tell you, I've been to probably hundreds of funerals. I've done dozens of them. And I leave, I leave, I leave funerals with one of two different kind of experiences. There's sometimes I leave with a sense of kind of death, like, oh my gosh, that was the end of the story. And there's other times I leave with a sense of life. And you go, no, that is not the end. Yesterday afternoon, I, I was standing right where I am right now, and I did a funeral in this room. And it, it was a hard one. I mean, it was a really hard one to do. But there was a point where I got a chance to read from Romans chapter 8. Paul, the same guy who's talking to us here, wrote these words too, from Romans chapter 8. And I, I read them out loud, and I was reading it to the, 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 everybody that was here for the funeral, but I was also reading it to me. I needed to hear this. And, and his words say this, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. And then he has a whole long list of things, and he includes that list, list. neither life nor death can separate us from the love of Christ. And, and when I heard that, it was like, in that moment yesterday, it was like life came up inside of me. You know what I'm talking about? And you can feel in the room, like all of a sudden, we're gonna leave this place with a sense of life because that's not the end of the story. And let me just tell you this. When Jesus came back to life on that first Easter, he not only conquered death for himself, but he also conquered death for you and also for me. And he allows me to live knowing that I am gonna be eternally alive. And when you can live like that every day, that brings life. Are you with me on that? That brings life. Let me give you another way that brings life, that's truly life. And he offers us a chance to live without regrets. Now, we all have regrets. We all do. And I mean, if you're going like, well, no, I don't have any regrets. I'll tell you what, you come back later when the, den when the denial breaks and we'll, we'll talk about it, okay? <laughs> we all got regrets. Some of them were yesterday, some were last week, some were years ago that have been following you around. And it might have been something you did you wish you hadn't done. It might have been stuff that you wish you would have done that you didn't do. It might have been stuff that happened to you that you regret. The Apostle Paul, okay? And this is what gives these words power. Think about this. This is a guy whose regrets included taking the lives of innocent people. Had to haunt him every day. And he writes these words. He says, for it is by grace, that's the powerful word right there, that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's not a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
And when he says that word, that word grace there, grace is like just, it's undeserved grace. I mean, I mean sorry, undeserved yeah, um, forgiveness or unearned kind of forgiveness. That's what it is. And I think what God is saying to every one of us right now, he's saying, listen, if you'll receive this grace that I wanna extend to you, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, remember, swinging, missing, swinging, missing, swinging, missing, rich in mercy, no matter how many times you've done it, you can find grace and forgiveness in me. And this grace, because here's where we can get this thing screwed up, it's not because of your hard work, it's not because of your impressive resume, it's not because of your high ACT score. It's a gift that's freely given to me and to you. And do you understand what that means? When we, when we finally receive that grace, that means all that stuff that haunts us, that brings shame on us, that makes us think that we're less than, all of that goes away. All that goes away. And I'll tell you what, when, all, when, when you get rid of all of that, no matter what it is, whether you believe me or not, just think, don't you think that would bring you to life? That would bring life, wouldn't it? That's what he's talking about here. In a moment, you're going to hear from a friend of mine who had a regret that haunted him for 20 years that he kept all to himself. And I'll tell you what, he finally told the story, he found grace, and he is alive, truly alive. Let me give you one more. There's still more good news. Because Jesus is alive, we can thirdly, here's the last thing too, we can live with a clear purpose. All right, let me bring this all kind of together so, so you can kind of button this thing together. When we are afraid of the future because of death, and when we also are stuck in the past because of our regrets, when you've got both those things pulling on you, there is no way you can be present here and now and have a clear purpose because you're so preoccupied with the past, you're so afraid about the future, you, can't, you miss the great opportunities that God has for you in the here and now. That's why we have to deal with that stuff in order to come alive. And here's what he says about this. Um, love this quote, Mark Twain. Mark Twain said this. He said that the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you discover why. <laughs> Don't you like that? The day you were born and the day you discover why. Well, Jesus tells us, here's how, here's the why. He says, we are God's handiwork, okay? Important word, they're handiwork. You know what God's saying? He's saying, you are a piece of work. <laughs> actually, 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 the real translation here is masterpiece. It's really a masterpiece. He says, you're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and, what the, and, and it's the kind of masterpiece, not that you stick on a shelf somewhere and then gets admired. No, you're the kind of masterpiece, he says, that I have prepared ahead of time. There are specific good works that I meant for you and only for you to do. You were born when God birthed you, all of you, when he birthed every one of you, he birthed you with a particular, there's a dream for a, di how, a, a difference that he wants you to make in this world. And I'm telling you, when, when, you're not, when you're not afraid of the future because you've got a hope for eternity and you've dealt with your regrets, you can be aware of when, okay, here's how I can be a part of help restoring God's dream to the world. And when that happens, you come alive. You come alive. I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, uh, Michael. He's been attending community for the last couple of years. He's actually in my small group too. And um, he knows what it means now, now, to not just be alive, but to truly live. Here's Michael's story. I really did not have a relationship with God and I did not think about it. It wasn't a goal or objective of mine. And my mentality was, if you wanna get something done, you can only really rely on you. 
And so that's the way I approached the world um, for, for many, many years. My name is Michael Kinney. I'm married to Stacy, and I have four children, Austin, Zachary, Aiden, and Zane, and I've been coming to community for two years. Jay was my roommate in graduate school. So February um, of 1997, Jay and I went to go see a concert. And on the way home from that concert, um, back to our apartment, um, we were in a car wreck. Jay um, died in the car wreck, extremely emotionally uh, devastated by the loss of my friend. And I felt very responsible. And I was very, very angry um, with God. So I decided then that I'm going to live two lives, one for me and one for Jay. And I just, I began trying to do that um, through my activities. Everything that I would achieve, it never was enough. It never made me feel differently. I still felt very um, angry, very alone. It, you know, it didn't matter how hard I tried or what I accomplished, um, something was still missing. I just kept, um, you know, walking around carrying these bags of bricks, um, never even considering putting them down and maybe asking for help. And my oldest son, Austin, he began going to church with his good friend, Caleb. I remember he got baptized and it really took me aback that he had, on his own, you know, figured out something that I could never figure out. And so I began going to church with a more open mind, trying to pay attention to the signs and to um, the messages that people were sharing with me. I also have a son who has severe autism and he has you know, no ego. And so I have this wonderful reflection of what Jesus Christ looks like without ego with my son Aiden. So the combination of um, watching Austin and watching and reflecting on my relationship with Aiden really turned my views from egoism and hubris to humility. And then I was invited to go to a small group and I knew sort of what that was, but I didn't really know what it was. I'd never been in a small group. And I was very nervous. I mean, very nervous to attend my first session, particularly the subject was on regret. Um, I remember thinking, wow, um, how apropos that my first small group is on the subject that I need to learn the most about. And it really opened my eyes. The, the kind of the tipping point for me was on the 20th anniversary of this car accident, which killed my friend. It's a dark day for me, a very upsetting uh, day, and my family doesn't have any idea, except for my wife, why am I so upset? Um, not just all of the time, why am I sort of angry all of the time, but why am I particularly upset this day? What I found was that after I started sharing this story, particularly you know, with my family, and then in some cases with my close friends, that every single time I talked about what happened, it was like I was taking a brick out of the bag and putting it on the ground, and my load was just getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And every single time I did it, I felt better. For most of my life, I thought that asking for help was a sign of weakness. And what I've come to realize is that asking for help is really a sign of strength. And then if you really want some help and you want to really want to go to the right place, the best place to go is asking God for help and accepting Jesus into your life. Um, I'll tell you, it's been a, a sacred privilege to uh, get to be friends with Michael and kind of walk with him on this journey. And uh, if you would have been here at our 8.30 service, um, here's what happened.
pretty cool. I got a chance to uh, baptize my friend along with his son, his son Austin. And um, I'll tell you what, let's go back where we started from. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And there is one who is, what we celebrate today, who's truly alive, and what he wants to do is to help you truly live. Let's say that Easter greeting with me again, okay? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we, none of us just be satisfied with kind of walking through life, never really knowing how to truly live. But Lord, that we take you up on your offer to bring us life and life to its fullest that you show us how we can have a hope for all of eternity, that you show us, um, like with my friend Michael, how you can have a release from regrets, no matter how many great they are from the past, and that you can open us up to a, a, a real purposeful present where we can make a difference. Lord, I pray that that's true for every one of us here this Easter. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.